Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Sturkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. You ought to be glad because there's a lot of places God could have you that are not near as good as the Lord's house on a Sunday morning. And I'm glad you're here. Now, I want to invite you, if you use a paper Bible, go ahead and go to the index. Because we're going to be going to Habakkuk. Some of y'all didn't even know he was in there. Okay, He's a minor prophet, not minor because he's small in stature, minor because he didn't have much to say, minor because it's a small book, three chapters. Now, let me tell you how this thing happened. So we just finished Jonah, right? And what an incredible book. I loved it. It doesn't really matter if you loved it or not. It was good for me. And sometimes that's what I preach, what what God puts on my heart. Y'all just get a little taste of what I chew on all week long, sometimes for a couple of weeks. And so after finishing Jonah, I thought, man, that's so cool that minor prophets written 20 2,500 years ago are still so applicable, like real, like real time, current for us. And so I was just kind of reading around through there, and I stumbled across this little three-chapter book called Habakkuk. And it dawned on me, that's for now. And I started to send a message out yesterday just to say, because I do this a lot, you don't want to miss it, man, because this is really good. Okay, I feel that way every week. When God burns my, a message in my heart, it's really good. It's not because of me. It just He just eats me up with it, and it's really good. And I want to encourage you, if you're here today, it's really important that you come back next week because we're going to cover this little book in two weeks. And Habakkuk is how you say it, by the way. When I was growing up, I thought his name was Habakkuk, like tobacco. Okay, there's a K at the end of that. And so it's Habakkuk, and in Hebrew, it's Habakkuk. So how would you like that for a name? What's your name? It's Habakkuk. Okay, that was his name. And so Habakkuk is a minor prophet. He's number eight of 12. He writes this little letter, three chapters long. Now, most of the minor prophets uh, are speaking to a nation, sometimes to Israel, sometimes to a neighboring nation, sometimes to the world. Habakkuk doesn't do that. Habakkuk is different. This is a conversation, a dialogue between the prophet of God and God. And so the prophet speaks in his letter a little bit, and then God speaks. And then the prophet speaks again, and then God speaks. Now, what he's speaking about is Habakkuk kind of surveys the landscape where he lives. He's looking at Israel. He's looking at his homeland. He, it's the chosen people. And man, things just don't look like he think they, thinks they should. He's looking at the world, and it doesn't line up, man, with a great God who's picked a people And yet, he's wondering now, why, if God is so good, why is there so much evil, right? If God is in control, he's sovereign, then why does bad stuff happen? It's a good question, right? And so, sometimes, the world we live in today looks just like that 2,500 years ago. Would you agree sometimes you look up, if God is so good, why so much bad stuff, right? And so, I was thinking... Two weeks from now is one of my favorite holidays of the year, Thanksgiving. Now, I have a grateful heart. I, I really do. I'm, I am grateful to God for all he's done for me. I am eternally grateful because he radically changed my eternal destiny, okay? I was headed to hell. Jesus saved me. I'm going to heaven forever. I am grateful. But even in my gratefulness, even in your gratefulness, sometimes things get dark, We can't hardly see the light for all the darkness. We can't hardly focus on the good because of all the bad. 
And I'm thinking, it's Thanksgiving. How can we have a grateful heart in such a difficult time? And voila, Habakkuk sent me a letter. 2,500 years ago, he wrote this little letter. And it took 2,500 years for it to arrive in my heart. And it did. And God wants us to look at this little book and learn how each one of us can have a grateful heart in a difficult time. Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't it be good if this Thanksgiving, through all the stuff that we've gone through, as individuals, as families, as couples, as a nation, as a world, if in a moment we could just for a, just for a minute just to push through all that and have a grateful heart. Habakkuk is going to help us with that thing. And so point number one in Habakkuk chapter one is this. Why God? It's a good question in, on the back of your worship guide. Just two words. Why God? Listen to what he says now in verse one. He says, this is the oracle or the burden that the prophet Habakkuk saw. He says, how long, Lord, must I cry for help? But you do not listen. Isn't that the way we do? We pray and we think he's not listening. How we know what he's hearing is beyond me. But we think because he's not speaking, he's not listening. And so Habakkuk sounds like us. And he goes on, he says, I call to you violence. The word violence in Hebrew is Hamas. Yeah, like the terrorist organization. He says, I cry to you, Hamas, violence everywhere. He says, but you do not deliver. Again, we think he doesn't deliver because he doesn't deliver on our timeline or he doesn't deliver like we think he should deliver. He goes on to verse 3, he says, why do you force me to witness injustice? Why do you put up with all the wrongdoing, destruction and violence? They confront me. Conflict is present and one must endure strife. For this reason, the law lacks power and justice is never carried out. Indeed, the wicked intimidate the innocent. For this reason, justice is perverted. Habakkuk looks around and he says, God, if you are so good, why do you sit by and let hell run loose? Why does it look like your sovereignty is not at play. Well, why does it look like everything has just kind of run off the rails? It's doing what it chooses to do. And meanwhile, I don't hear you. I don't see you responding or answering. Why, why, why at every turn do I see evil? Why do we live in a world where the, the, the wicked and the evil seem to intimidate the righteous the, the bad intimidates the good. Evil outweighs good. Why, why at every turn it, it, it looks like that? And why at every turn is justice perverted? And we live in a world that, where wrong is right and right is wrong. And truth are, is a lie and a lie is the truth. And everything is upside down. And people are confused. And Habakkuk says, God, I, I just come before you today. And I just got a question. Why God? 2,600 years ago, he writes this little letter. Last time I checked, it's still 2021. Do you ever have a why question? Do you ever have a season where you're just kind of like a kid in elementary school? <laughs> Got a question? Why, God, is this happening 
in my life. It's true for us just like it was true back then. Now, maybe we don't ask the question. Maybe we just think it, which is kind of funny because God knows our thoughts. And so if we think it, we might as well ask it. So here's what I'm going to ask. If you are here today and you have had a why God question or two or three or a why God season, I'd like for you to stand up and remain standing. And before you do watch this, some of y'all is ready to jump out right now. I'm in. Okay. First service didn't have any. First service didn't have any why questions. Isn't that crazy? Sometimes we think we're the only one in the boat, like we talked about in Jonah. Sometimes we're, we think we're the only one kind of going through a little bit of a hell of a life. Some of, sometimes we think we're the only one that's getting the short end of the stick, right? If you've had a why question for God, or you have a why question today, or you've lived in a why season, I want to invite you to stand up and remain standing. Now, just for those in the front, especially in the back, you can see it. Look around. I want you to know you're not alone. Now watch this. I want you to remain standing. Sometimes we, we feel like when the preacher says, if you've had a question, why God? You feel like, oh, ye of little faith, right, when you're questioning God. Is it not true? You, you feel a little guilty to ask God why things are happening? I want you to know, first of all, it's okay, and you're not alone, okay? What we do sometimes is we remind ourselves of, of what a great God we place our faith and trust and belief in. We think, why? Well, I, sh I shouldn't be asking why because I believe in an omniscient God, Omniscient, meaning he's all-knowing, he's all-knowledge. And I believe in a, uh, an omnipresent God. He's everywhere, all the time. I believe in an omni, omnipotent God, one that's all-powerful all the time. I believe in a sovereign God. My God's a big God, and I trust him with my eternal destiny in Jesus. And all of a sudden... We find ourselves feeling a little guilty because we're asking that God why. You can be seated. Now, as you're seated, I want to ask you to do something for me, for you, and for the church body. I want you to look at your worship guide, and on the back there's a tear-off like these. And I want you to write your why question or questions on there. Just go ahead and write it on there. Because you know what it is, and some of you knew immediately, and some of you, it's coming to you even now. Now, why do I ask you to write it down? First of all, I think writing our why question down can be liberating and healing. I think it can be a way that we, before God, we say, God, this is my why question. You know my thoughts, and maybe I've even asked you in prayer like Habakkuk. But I'm writing it down because it's real. And I trust you, and I'm going to give it to you. So it's liberating. I think it can be liberating for us. Uh, secondly, I think it's important because there's people in here who think they're the only one who have the why question that you have. 
Sometimes don't we feel like that? Like, like we're the only one going through that in the history of humanity? This, I know what you're going through, and that stinks and everything, but you have never walked in these size 13s. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I got the real deal right here. Yours is big, but I got the real deal. Sometimes it's good to know we're not alone. And we're never alone because God is always with us, but we're not alone when we're in the middle of a season where we have questions for God. And I think coming together as a church body and a family will help us. In fact, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let me tell you what a why question might look like. It looks like yours. You stood up. I've got a whole list. I could fill up that book over there with questions for God. Okay? I mean, I got them. But let me tell you a good, two good ones. Why God did the, two of the greatest Christian demonstrations I've ever known in my life. Two people who lived more like Jesus than anybody I've ever known. My dad and Kendra's grandmother, Cleta Disney. Why would these people who lived for you, God, every day, d- d- just demonstrated a Christ-life lifestyle? Why in the latter years of their life, they got to a place where they didn't know their name, they couldn't care for themselves, they didn't know the people that they loved so well, so long, they didn't even, weren't even able to communicate with you, God, because of a, d- a disease called Alzheimer's. It's a terrible disease. It's a good why question, okay? We've all got them, and they're good questions. Maybe it's, why did I lose my job, or why did I not get that better job? Why did I lose a friend? Why do I not have a friend? Why did I lose a child? Why is my child wayward? Why have I been given this terrible medical diagnosis? Why am I in the middle of a relationship failure why am I being mistreated why was I abused why was I unloved why is there addiction in my life why does a loved one of mine battle addiction on and on and on the list goes and yet at the end of the day we feel like God I'm I'm yours I'm your child I have been adopted into your forever kingdom Jesus has radically changed me your Holy Spirit dwells in me has filled me with the mark of the promise I know where I'm going when I die but right now it's not looking like I thought it was supposed to look right now God our vernacular I ain't feeling the love have you ever had that God I ain't feeling the love God is love I don't get it and so we begin to ask questions. Now, sometimes we, we look up in our world and we have reasons to ask some questions to God. I made a list of a few things that we walk in every day in this broken world that we live in. Wickedness, violence, and strife. Injustice, wrongdoing, sickness, disease. Death, confusion, brokenness, and lies. Abuse, abortion, sex trafficking, heartache. Earthquakes, fires, and hurricanes. Racial tension, gender confusion, redefinition of terms. Relationship turmoil, and the list goes on and on. But sometimes we're a little bashful about asking God why. 
Have you ever been bashful about asking? Maybe you asked him yesterday and today's a new one. You're like, I don't want to bother him with that one. You know why? Because like, I don't want to be struck by lightning for asking a big God a question like that. I don't want to be eaten by a bear or hit in the head with a meteor, you know, so I'm not going to ask that question, right? Now, you joke about that. Let me tell you something. God can hit you in the head with a meteor. I'll give you one better, real time. 20 years ago, I was playing golf with Jonathan Cox at the luxurious La Follette Country Club. And on hole number two, I just hit a pitching wedge, and I was about 240, 250 yards from the tee box. I'd hit a nice lofty wedge, and I was watching it to see where it was going to land on the green when the lights went out. And I thought, what happened? I came back too before I fell. And I was, I was disoriented. And I was, my, I was like, I, don't, I thought, my, did my club come apart? I, Jonathan said, you okay? And, and I started to talk, and my tongue was numb. I said, how did that by that? And so I bent over like this, and blood just started pouring from my head. And he said, what happened? I said, I did that by that. And so I didn't know what happened. And all of a sudden, I hear somebody I'm sorry, I'm sorry, doing about 100 down the cart path, number two straight down. I'm sorry, he had hit a driver, and he concussioned me 250 yards on the fly and took a divot out of the crown of my head. Now, I share that story. I survived, isn't that good? I still got brain damage, but I had that already. It's okay, okay? I tell you that story to say, listen, you can run, but you cannot hide. God is a big God, and sometimes we fear that God, and we should have a reverential fear. But I want you to know, listen to me, church, this is liberating. It is okay to ask our big God why questions. It's what a relationship looks like. I am married, been married for 36 years. Lots of questions in my house, most of them aimed at me. If you're a man, you feel the love. My wife asks more questions. Oh, she can ask some questions. Kelsey, am I telling the truth? Caitlin, am I telling the truth? Yeah. Oh, she can ask some questions. Questions are what a relationship looks like. And if he's your heavenly father, your eternal God, it's okay to ask him questions. Now, now let me help you understand. When we ask questions, there's two things I want you to know. First of all, when we ask him questions, he is not obligated to answer them. Okay? He is not obligated to answer your questions. The creator owes the creation nothing. He doesn't have to answer. He's not obligated. Number two, I want you to know that whatever he answers, you might want to have your big boy underwear, big girl underwear on before you get the answer. Because the answer may not look like what you think the answer should look like. Wow. That's true. Sometimes, is it not true when we ask God why, we've already written the answer in our book? God, why? This is the answer. In case you need some help, okay? God doesn't answer like we answer because God is not like we are. But I want you to know it's okay to ask questions. Listen, in the Bible, some of the greatest people in the Bible asked questions of God. Old Testament and New Testament. In the Old Testament, you'll remember God picked a guy named Moses, and he was going to use him to liberate a nation, the nation of Israel, from 400 years of bondage or captivity in Egypt. And he picked this stuttering uh, wanderer to be his champion to lead him out. 
And you remember God told Moses, he said, Moses, I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let the people go. And he says, man, I, I don't speak good. That's cool. I'm going to put Aaron with you and he'll speak for you. And he had all these excuses of why he couldn't be the one that God chose. So ultimately he goes in there and he says, Pharaoh, Yahweh told me to tell you to let his people go. Basically, Pharaoh says, no way to Yahweh, bye. And so Moses leaves, and then in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, Moses is before God. This is what he says. God, why have you brought trouble? God, why did you even send me? This is Moses, man. He wrote the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. This is God's guy. And it was okay for him to ask questions. The psalmist in Psalm 10, verse 1 says, Why, Lord, do you stand so far off? And why do you pay no attention during times of trouble? The psalmist asked God why. Psalm 42, 9, I will pray to God, my high ridge. Why do you ignore me? Why must I walk around mourning because my enemies oppress me? Psalm 44, 24, why do you look the other way and ignore the way we are oppressed and mistreated? And so sometimes we need to be reminded it's okay to ask God why. Tell the person next to you it's okay to say why. Now I'm going to do something I, I never, I don't know that I've ever done it. I certainly don't do it on a regular basis. I'm going to pause right there in the sweetness of knowing it's okay to ask God why. And I want to invite you to bow your heads and I'm going to pray over us about our why questions. Just bow your heads. Oh, Father, we thank you, God. That we can come to you, our great God, and we can know with certainty there's not a question too big for a God who's always bigger. God, that it's okay for us to want to know why you're doing what you do, because in that we can find understanding. But God, help us all know, help me know, that even though you already know our thoughts, our questions, our why moments, that when we confess them to you and we bring them to you verbally, God, help us know that it's in those moments of why, God, that our faith rises up and our trust digs down. And God, we emerge from the why moment with a different level of intimacy, God, with you, knowing regardless of what it seems like, Regardless of what it feels like, God, you're still our God. You love us beyond anything we can imagine. And God, you are working it all out. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So in these first few verses, Habakkuk is speaking to God. And it's, why God? Why God? Why God? Now it's God's turn. It's God's turn. Point number two on the back of your worship guide, we went from why God to whoa, God. And it's not like whoa, like suffering, W-O-E. It's whoa, like big, W-H-O-A. Whoa, God. Okay? Listen to what God says in verse five. He says, Habakkuk, look at the nations and pay attention. You will be shocked and amazed for I will do something in your lifetime that you will not believe even though you were forewarned. Now, right now, Habakkuk's thinking, okay, I got his ear. <laughs> okay, he's listening. He's telling me, all right, something that I'm going to be like shocked and amazed. It's going to happen in my lifetime. This is good, right? He goes on verse six. He says, look, I am about to empower the Babylonians. In your Bible, it may say the Chaldeans. That ruthless and greedy nation 
They sweep across the surface of the earth, seizing dwelling places that do not belong to them. And they are frightening and terrifying. They decide for themselves what is right. Their horses are faster than leopards, more alert than wolves in the desert. Their horses gallop. Their horses come a great distance, and like vultures, they swoop down quickly to devour their prey. All of them intend to do violence. Every face is determined. They take prisoners as easily as one scoops up sand. They mock kings. They laugh at rulers. They laugh at every fortified city. They build siege ramps, and they capture them. Verse 11, they sweep by like the wind and pass on, but the one who considers himself God will be held guilty. I'm going to quote a great theologian, my grandson Judson. When things happen that he didn't really expect, he says, so funny, he goes, I had not seen that coming. That's what Habakkuk is thinking right here. I had not seen that coming, you know. I want you to know sometimes ignorance is bliss. (laughs) Sometimes we're better off in the dark about knowing. But if we want to ask, sometimes he will tell us. Sometimes the reason he has held the answer, because it's not nearly the answer that we thought it was going to be. God says, listen, I'm going to empower a wicked nation called Babylon. It's the Chaldeans. And they are wicked, and they are ruthless, and they're going to come and take you away. Now, you remember, those of you that were here when we looked at the book of Daniel, that's the people that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... That's the people that they had been taken away to and totally ungodly. And God says, I'm going to use them. I'm going to empower them. Sometimes God uses evil for the purposes of good. And sometimes when we ask God a question, we kind of forget who we're talking to. Have you ever done that? Kind of put God on our level or elevated ourselves to his level that's kind of silly too and so what we do is is we forget I want to remind you it's okay to ask questions but I want to remind you too there's a chasm of difference between you and me and God and, and, and so what is the difference well first of all we did not speak into nothingness and galaxies emerged that would be God's job We didn't breathe into a handful of dust and humanity come forth. (laughs) That would be God. We have no input or no control and very little understanding of things like cosmology, oceanography, meteorology, the hydrologic cycle, astronomy. All of that stuff, that big vast stuff, that's God. And we're not there. And so sometimes, even though we ask questions, it's good to be reminded that God is way outside of our gray matter. Look at your neighbor and say, he's a big God. Tell him he just happens to be in love with you. Isn't it good to know a God so big, a God so vast, a God so outside of our understanding is madly in love with us because we are his image bearers this is what scripture says about his greatness in isaiah 55 verse 8 it says for my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways declares the lord he says for as the heavens are higher than the earth as the heavens are higher than the earth 
so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He's a big God and he's way outside of our understanding. We just don't have enough gray matter to capture the greatness of God. Now, so sometimes he puts us in a place where we ask questions why because he may be disciplining us, right? Because we said we, we saw that in the book of Jonah that, that whom God hasn't chastened or disciplined, he can't be considered a child. He's not a child of the Father. If you are a believer, if you're born again, the Holy Spirit has sealed you and dwells in you, when we do wrong, God disciplines that. And he tenderly disciplines. And, and then if that doesn't work, he amps it up a little bit and, and, and brings stronger discipline to get us. Sometimes he's just teaching us who he is and how we can trust him in dark days. Sometimes he uses us as a demonstration to help somebody else. And so sometimes God uses evil to accomplish the good that he desires. Israel, we can point at them and, you know, make fun of them a little bit. They were terrible, unfaithful, rebellious. I mean, God gave them burning bushes and parted seas. God gave them uh, animals that talked. God gave them all of these miracles, and yet they could not remain faithful. That sorry bunch of Israel, right? Oh, we look just like them. We're unfaithful, we are rebellious, we choose apostasy, we choose an apathetic, half-lukewarm, committed life to Jesus, and then we wonder why we land in these why questions. So when we ask these questions, it's important that we remember who we're asking. One of the funniest books in the Bible, probably the first book ever written, is the book of Job. And the book of Job is about a good dude. He's a righteous man. I mean, he was, he was top-notch, top-shelf, you know, the, the guy. And Satan went before God and said, listen, Job only does what you want him to do, and he loves you because you're so good to him. You start taking away some of the blessings, and he'll turn his back on you too. Well, we know the story. God took away his family. God took away his riches. God took away his livestock. God took away everything. God, God gave him sickness and boils all over his body. His wife and his friends would come to him and say, you just need to curse God and die. He went from the pinnacle to the prison of suffering just because God allowed it. And so rightfully so, Job landed in a good why God season. All right? Why God? And he asked a whole bunch of questions, several chapters. But there's a chapter called chapter 38, just like in the book of Habakkuk, where God finally gets tired of Job asking all the questions. And God says to Job in chapter 38, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. And he says, who is this who darkens counsel with words without knowledge? Uh-oh. Verse 3, he says, get ready for a difficult task like a man. I will ask you, and you can inform me. <laughs> Be careful with our why questions because sometimes he might throw it right back at you. Have you ever thought about how many whys God could ask of us? Hey, Joel, why did you not pray in this area? Why did you go for days and not open your Bible intently? Why did you not give to help that person in need? 
Why do you still go back to those same habits? Why did you use harsh words with your wife? Why did you? He's got a lot of why questions for us. And he shows us this in Job. Listen to what he says. He reminds Job who he's dealing with. He says, get ready for a difficult task. I'll ask you and you can inform me. So now he says, Job, let's just get on, on, the, the, on the same page of who each of us are. He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you possess that understanding. Who sets its measurements, if you know, or who stretched a measuring line across it? When I said to here, you may come and no further, here your proud waves will be confined. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or made the dawn know its place, Job? Have you gone into the springs that fill the sea or walked about in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deepest darkness? Have you considered the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know it all. In what direction does light reside? In darkness, where is its place? Um, that you may take them to their borders and perceive the pathways to their home. God goes on and on and on and says, Job, get your big boy underwear on. I've been listening to your why questions. I got a few of my own. Now, Here's where, that, here's where that takes us. It's okay to ask God the why questions. But at the same time, we need to listen intently to see if God has some questions for us. Because in that place is where we grow. In that place, we find healing. In that place, are we liberated. Sometimes we go through things that just seem awful. And they are. They're awful. We live in a broken world. Awful things happen to everybody because we live in a broken world. One day, God will redeem it all. One day, God will make it all like it was before the fall. But until that day, we're all work walking in a broken world. And sometimes it just hurts. Amen? You remember the story of Joseph... Joseph was, uh, was the one who was favored by his father. He got the groovy jacket, and his brothers hated him. So they sold him into slavery. He goes from the, the, the well, the pit. He goes to Egypt. He's taken into the house of Pharaoh. He um, gets accused by Potiphar's wife of sexual misconduct. He's thrown in the clink. While in prison, he becomes a dream interpreter. He gets released from prison. He forecasts all the future. He becomes number two in command in the whole nation. And meanwhile, here's a guy who just woke up one day and he was Joseph, the favored son. And it lands in a foreign land separated from his family for most of his life. And went through all of that calamity. But you see, there's a day coming in Joseph's life when his father and his brothers and his family and his people will be looking for relief from the famine. And they show up in Egypt. And Joseph ends up being the one who determines their future and their fate. And on this day when his brothers realize, that's the one we sold. That's our brother that we hated and told our dad that he was dead. And he's large and in charge. He's going to kill us and deal treacherously with us. We know this. 
And then we read in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph stands before his brothers who have treated him so badly. And he says, as for you, you meant harm to me. But God intended it for good, for a good purpose. So he could preserve the lives of many people, as you can see on this day. You see, sometimes God lets bad things happen in our life so he can use it for good in other people's lives. Now, I want to pause right there. I don't know what your why question is. I know what mine are. Sometimes God lets us go through dark spots. So sometime in the future, he can use our dark spot experience to help somebody else find their way out of that dark spot. I want to encourage you with that. I'm not saying, I'm not trivializing your why question. I'm telling you that God can use that for something greater. It may not be today. It may not be for several years, but God can use it for good. How do I know? Because in the New Testament, we read in Romans 8, 28, that we know that all things, everybody say all things. Everybody say the good stuff. Everybody say the bad stuff. All things, he says, work together for good for those that love God and who are called according to his purpose. You ready? If you're a child of God, if you're born again, if you've received the grace gift of Jesus into your life, you have been adopted into his forever family, God will work everything in your life out for something good. All things. All things. And so let God be God and let God do what only God can do. God will do Whatever he has to do to protect and preserve his people and his plan to redeem the world. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's favorable. Sometimes it's sweet. Sometimes it stinks. Sometimes it hurts. But in every sweet season and in every hurtful season, God is never changing. He's right there with us in it all. I was preparing this message and, and this thought came into my mind. And I just think it's profoundly true. Are you ready? Just because it's not pleasant doesn't mean it's not planned. Just because it's not pleasant doesn't mean it's not planned. Just because it surprised you doesn't mean it surprised him he's a sovereign God there's nothing in your life that happens that hasn't first gone through the filter of his sovereignty sometimes that hurts sometimes that's where we rise up and say God if you love me I don't think it ought to look like that to which God says, who is this that darkens my counsels without knowledge? It's in those moments that we say, God, I'm so glad 
that you're a big God. And I will accept my place as your lowly creation. And you do what you have to do, God. Because in the end, you're going to make everything right. And I'm in that plan. And so in this light and momentary affliction, help me be reminded of the suffering that Jesus took in my place. Help me remember that no matter how dark it may seem, no matter how badly it may hurt, it doesn't compare to the suffering that Jesus took to rescue me from me. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed maybe today you are in a why God moment maybe today you've just moved from your why God to your Whoa, God, moment. I want you to know Thanksgiving is in two weeks. And Habakkuk wrote you a letter 2,500 years ago to help you have a grateful heart in a difficult time. And we're going to see the rest of that next week. Now, in just a minute after we pray... The worship team is going to lead us in a song. And during the song, I want to invite you to do something. I want you to take the tear off that you hopefully wrote your Why God question on. And I want to invite you to bring it to the altar and to leave it here. It's a demonstration on your part of saying, God, here's my question. I'm big enough to know that you know my thoughts. I'm big enough to voice it, but God, I've written it on a paper and I'm big enough to bring it down here and leave it with you. And maybe you don't have a pen. There's paper down here, pens down here if you want to do it down here. Maybe you don't want to come forward at all. That's quite all right. But I want this to be a moment where you're freed of the whys. Not, 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 not guilty for asking why, but just laying it down and saying, God, here's my question. I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to trust you and let you be God. And I'll just be me. Father, I thank you so much for Habakkuk. I thank you that as he surveyed the land, as he looked around, God, he saw hurt, and brokenness. He saw things that shouldn't be that way things that, God, you would never design. God, things that don't align itself with your word of truth. God, things that you wouldn't wish, that you wouldn't bring on your children. But God, he lived in a broken world just like we do today. And God, in that moment, he was willing to ask you. And God, you were willing to tell him that it wasn't over yet. And so God, on this day, we come before you, God, with all of our why questions, and we want to say thank you, God, for being a God that's bigger than we are. 
thank you, God, for being one who is outside our, the dimensions of our understanding. And so, God, help us bring our brokenness, our sorrows, our hurts, our confusion to the one who can make it all right. We can search all over this world and we will never find the answer that we will find with you. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand and we're going to sing. And if you want to come and leave your wise here at the altar, please do. If you want to pray, there's prayer pads on the floor. And I want to encourage you, don't miss next week as we prepare a grateful heart in difficult times. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.